You're listening to The Little Green Cheese, Episode 4. Well, welcome back. I'm Gavin Weber, and this is where you can learn about making cheese at home. Well, the exciting things that have happened around the house this week is that on Sunday I made an Emmental uh, using the recipe that uh, I've got in my cheese-making book, and it turned out very well indeed. I use normal pasteurised and homogenised milk, uh, store-bought, and the curd shrunk as they should have done. Uh, it pressed well, and it is now in the cheese fridge at about... 12 degrees, 12 to 13 degrees centigrade, and every day I'm turning it and wiping it down with uh, a brine solution. So at the end of this week, uh, what we're going to do is place it in a warm area. It's about 21 degrees, between 20 and 22 degrees, probably just on the side of the bench with a bit of cheesecloth over the top just to keep the flies off it. Uh, And... uh, what will happen for three weeks is you still turn it and brine it, but it uh, starts swelling. So the uh, bacteria, that the sorry, not the bacteria, the uh, starter culture that you put in it called Propionic Shimani, uh, which feeds on the uh, lactose in the milk and creates CO2. So that's what uh, makes the holes in your uh, Swiss-style cheese. Anyway, more on that as uh, we go along and as it develops. This week we've got an interview with a lovely guy called Gukan Yeniseri and he's from Canberra and I had the pleasure of interviewing him during the week. Hi everybody, uh, my name is Gurkan and uh, uh, as Gavin said I'm from Canberra. Um, I've started cheese making at around 2009 and uh, since then I'm hooked up to the hobby. Um, I have I have uh, participated in forums, I have uh, I'm writing a Turkish blog and uh, I have given a couple of uh, workshops in uh, in Balkonen in in Canberra about cheese making and uh, and I have given some other workshops as well at home uh, just to get people uh, introduced into the cheese making and see actually how easy it is. So what was the reason that you started making cheese? Um I, we consume a lot of yogurt and uh, I was looking for a yogurt machine on the internet and the same website was selling uh, the cheese making kits as well. So uh, as well as buying the, the yogurt machine, I also bought uh, a cheese making kit. And uh, since then, uh, I'm, I'm making cheese at home. And at the moment, my cheese making equipment is consuming a lot of space in the uh, kitchen and in my study. <laughs> and half of the fridge is full of uh, starter cultures and other stuff and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, Freezer is full of, full of those. And uh, But, I mean, yes, it is taking a lot of space and it is taking a lot of time and effort. But uh, the end results are quite good. So far, we haven't uh, thrown away any cheese that I made. Yeah. And uh, and everybody is enjoying it, Tom and my friends too. Oh, fantastic! So, what are some of the cheeses that you make? Um, as every starter, uh, I have started with the feta, halloumi, mozzarella, and uh, ricotta. 
uh, feta is something we consume a lot. And uh, every every morning in the breakfast, uh, every sandwich has got feta in it. Every most of the salads has got feta in it. So as a, as a Turkish guy, uh, we are consuming feta a lot. So that's that's one of the cheese uh, I made regularly at home. Um, apart from these, when I have get confirmation from my wife uh, for a second fridge, a modified fridge in the garage, I started making gouda, camembert, and uh, uh, some of the hard cheese like kasseri, uh, some of the other hard cheeses as well, as much as I can. Uh, then after that, I've, I've, uh, I have increased my volume to 40 liters with the two 20 liter um, uh, boilers yeah. in the in the in the kitchen. And uh, got got myself a really big, uh, a nice um, a cheese press with a with an air piston on top of it. Yes. And uh, it, it is it is quite good. So, I mean, whatever I can take it as a challenge. The, the last challenge I was trying was a comté on from French. Yes. French cheese. It's a it's a very hard cheese to do, and uh, took me a while to gather the ingredients as well. And the starter cultures and the washing uh, the, the uh, morch as, mm. as the French call it. Yeah. Uh, so. Okay. You yeah. So you were mentioning uh, Comte, uh, the French cheese. Yes. So what sort of things are um, what sort of special? Do they have any special cultures for that? Um, it, there are um, at it, at the top of my head. I can't remember. It's it's written yeah. in my notebook. Um, but uh, there are there are uh, mixtures of uh, mesophilic and thermophilic cultures in it. Um, and oh, uh, there, there were some uh, gas-producing ones as well, but not not much. Uh, getting the ratio uh, was quite hard for me because uh, yeah. I was I was mixing them by myself out of the, the, the industrial big cultures. You know, the, the one sachet goes for thousand liters or five hundred yeah. liters or yeah. so. Yeah. So, uh, but it turned out a, a quite a good cheese. Um, the story is one day I bought some comté from the shops and brought home, and then my wife goes like, "Oh, why don't you do something like this?" And then I go like, <laughs> "Okay, that's a challenge." Yeah, and I've tried a couple of times. It turned out quite good, although it wasn't the same uh, the taste that, that I have gotten from the the recipes. Yeah, uh, changed here and there, and but uh, it is still on my to do list. I have to try a couple more times just to get the actual taste of out of it. Yeah, I had a similar experience with um, with Emmental. And uh, my wife, you know, she loves Swiss cheese, so she said, yes. "Why don't you make Emmental?" And I went, "Oh my goodness!" So <laughs> I've I've made it uh, twice successfully, and uh, with you know really small holes, not big holes like you get in normal Swiss cheese, because they make um, like sixty kilo rounds of cheese. Yes. You know? Yeah. So uh, now they got small holes, and and they taste nutty like a um, uh, like a Swiss cheese, and I've got one in the brine at the moment that I made on the weekend, so that should turn out quite good. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like a nice Emmental. So uh, you mentioned that you make your cheeses in the kitchen. So what kind of – you mentioned you were making, what, 40-litre batches, is that right? Yes, 40-litre milk uh, in one go so that I can make a big wheel out of it, especially yep. when I've tried uh, like things like Gruyere, uh, Mantel, I mean, that requires uh, volume in the cheese just to get the holes going bigger. Yes, yes. And uh, it, and uh, and it, it is. I am enjoying actually more <laughs> when I when I do a big batch because it is the same effort you are showing at the end, and the cheese should be big at the end. Yeah. So how how big is your um your cheese press? It must be massive. Uh cheese press. Uh, 
itself is not really massive. I can put a 25 or 30 centimeters uh, diameter uh, basket underneath. Yeah. And uh, it, it is an air piston, uh, one of those uh, pistons with the when you when you put air in it, you know, it pushes down the same yeah. amount yeah. of uh, pressure. So the, my biggest problem was the follower uh, to find a follower. So I grind some uh, cutting boards, you know, kitchen cutting boards, the plastic. Oh, the, ones. the plastic ones, yeah. yeah. Yeah, as the to the diameter of my basket, so that I can actually press the <laughs> the cheese. Oh right, yes, yes. Yeah. So that's uh, that's like food that's food grade plastic. So that's that white plastic. Um, yes, yes, it is P- yeah. one of those. Yes, HDPC, I think it is called. High, yeah, yeah, high number something. one. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, high density polyethylene, I think. Yeah, 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 that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so do you have um, any issues when you're making that volume of cheese, or is it just like, you know, when like I, I make uh, cheeses that are about eight liters of milk turn out to be about a kilo do you have any as you increase the volume are there any extra things to worry about um when i've decided to increase my volume the first thing is the was the press to get a to get a good press so that i can press it with the uh, uh, with the with the enough amount of pressure on top of the cheese and it shouldn't be changing that amount of pressure shouldn't be changing and the time goes yeah my first press was it did have this 50 50 lb coil uh, but when the cheese is pressed, uh, the coil is getting opened up, and then you don't have That's the right. exact same pressure on top of the cheese. Yeah. That was the first problem. Um, the other problem was uh, to to get the cheese ripened, to get the cheese aged correctly. Yeah. Uh, once you go bigger, uh, you need a fridge. You need an aging aging environment with the 85% humidity and 10-11 degrees Celsius uh, temperature in there. Yeah, keeping those constant uh, it was also an issue. Um, apart from these two, I didn't have um, any more issues. Um, when I do cheese at home, I usually keep the uh, kitchen quite clean. Everything yeah. is sterilized. I have a boiling water and another bo- water with bleach in it, twenty to one ratio, and yeah. uh, uh, everything is sterilized. All the kitchen benches are sterilized with fifty uh, percent uh, methylated spirit and fifty percent. Um, uh, vinegar yes. uh, on, a, on a spray bottle so I spray everywhere and and, uh, and then clean it up so yep. there's never been, been an issue only one time I was making bread the same day the bread yeast I think jumped into the milk somehow from the air and my uh, halloumi turned into a like there were like little holes in it on, yeah, all over yeah. the cheese and it, it stink a bit it was still oh, okay right. it was eatable yeah. But uh, then I've then I've uh, posted on the forums. We have a um, we have a little forum uh, that, that this thing happened, and they said, "Ah, it's the cheesy, uh, the the bread yeast jumped into oh, the milk." Right. Yeah, so it would <laughs> so have been I'm, airborne. I'm not yeah. bread the same day. Yes. Well, funny you should say that. I I um I had a, a problem with a couple of um, parmesans that did the same thing, except they expanded so big that it was just like a big cavity in the middle. And I, ne- and I never thought that my wife would have been because we've got a bread maker in the in the kitchen and and she might have had bread on at the same time I was making um making the parmesan. Okay, that so might that, be one no, of the that, reasons. Yeah, I'll, I'll certainly have to watch out for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what what are some of your favourite uh, cheeses to make? What are the the ones that give you the most pleasure when you're making it? Um, 
Gouda, most hard cheeses are uh, quite pleasurable to make. And yeah. uh, for example, Gouda is, is quite good. Uh, and it's it's a quick, one of the quick hard cheeses that you can make and eat in, in about uh, two months time you can enjoy. Um, other than that, uh, the, the Caseri uh, or uh, Toma, uh, Toma de Valmante uh, is one of the cheeses I like to make. Yes. Yeah. Other than that, uh, uh, the feta and halloumi is like our uh, staples. I'm doing it all the time whenever whenever we have access. Yeah. Yeah, feta is really simple to make, isn't it? It is. It is very simple. And uh, once I I have a really special culture for feta at home. Oh, goodness. Which I have extracted from kefir. Uh, so I, I like I, um, to use the kefir as a thermophilic starter, starter culture. Yes. Uh, I have I have prepared uh, uh, the strained kefir in the yogurt maker. Yes. So a yogurt maker keeps the the temperature at around forty three degrees Celsius. And uh, all the uh, the mesophilic bacteria dies in it, so only the thermophilic bacteria leaves. Oh yes. And I I, I run this like uh, five six generations uh, in the yogurt machine and got really stable um, thermophilic culture out of it. Oh lovely. And I am using that that culture and it gives a quite a good taste. I have actually given some of my feta to a Bulgarian uh, friend, and he goes like, oh mate, you take me to my uh, childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a good indication. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, um, the Bulgarian feta uh, taste is a little bit different than Greek feta, isn't it? It is very different. They also use sheep meat. Yeah. Yeah, I make the, um, well, what I think anyway is the, the Greek version, but I only use cow's milk. I don't have access to uh, goat or sheep's milk, yeah, which I think they, they, yeah. Yeah, they mix together. So, yeah, yeah, it's really good that you've got a special culture to do that. Really good. <laughs> I don't know what's in it, but uh, mostly the thermophilic whatever is left from the kefir, I guess. <laughs> but it works, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so, what are some of the fr- your favourite cheeses to eat? You know, and they don't have to be um, cheese that you make. What, what are your, some of your fr- favourite cheeses? My uh, my favourites are like camembert, uh, blue cheeses, and yep. the mixture of those two is cambazola. <laughs> oh, yep, yep. So it's a bit like. Um, uh, you can buy it commercially as like a blue Costello or something like that. Yes, yes, it is. Yes. It is like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that must. So, do, can you make that? Yes, I've tried a couple of times. It turned out really, really good. Um, actually, uh, one of the the online shops I was uh, always buying my stuff to from, uh, it, they brought this uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, the same as the, the uh, bread yeast, but for cheese. So it, it makes holes in the cheese, and then you can fill those holes with the blue later on. So oh, right. <clears throat> I've, I've, tried making, I've tried making the, uh, the camembert with it and the blue bacteria in it, uh, yes. Penicillium racoforti. Yep. And uh, it turned out really, really good, actually. I, I'm, I'm quite amazed at because I was reading on the forums that nobody is getting much success out of Cambozola, as we call it. Yes. But uh, the first make, it was quite awesome. So I've, I've continued making that. It's a quite yep. a good cheese. It's a mixture of tastes and blue and uh, the camembert, uh, you know, those penicillium, um, the other bacteria, the white bacteria in it. So it, it, it turns out quite good. Yes. So... The mes- so it was the mesophilic culture that um, produced a little bit of gas. Is that correct to make the air holes? Um, mesophilic would work. Um, which one was it? Helveticus, I think, or one of yep. the mesanthroids. Some of some of the uh, they do make. Uh, yes, they do make some air holes, but 
I am brining the cheese rather than uh, dry salting. When I oh, brine, right. yes. uh, when I brine, they don't have much. Uh, the, the, I think the saltiness uh, is getting too much. That those bacteria that doesn't work. Oh right, okay. So you need something else uh, to get those holes in it. Actually, on my home cheese maker's uh, Facebook page, uh, there is a uh, there are some, I put some pictures of it, of the Cambazola there, and then you can see there are like little holes right in the middle. There is no any other air outlet from there, and actually blue grown in it. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, mm. what I'll do in the show notes for the podcast, I'll put a link to the home cheese maker's Facebook page. Yep. Um, and uh, and do you have a do you have a blog? You mentioned you had a. Another I have, Turkish cheese. But it's in Turkish. <laughs> That's all right. Google yeah. Translator works fantastic these days. Yep. Cool then. So um, yeah, just send that through to me, and I'll put that into the uh, into the uh, podcast show notes as well. Yep. All right then. Okay. Um, so I've got a couple more questions. So yep. you eat cheese, obviously. Do you um, have any particular uh, drink that you like to enjoy cheese with? Um. I'm not much of a drinker, but um, you know the Turkish Raki, that is the aniseed liqueur. Oh, that's uh, lovely, that, yes. That I drink from time to time, <laughs> and that actually really goes well with the Cambazola, uh, with the blue camembert. Oh, the, yeah, the two flavours would be intense, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite intense. And I actually enjoy my cheese with home-baked, home, home-baked uh, bread, like a rice sourdough or some, some other uh, home-baked breads. Yes. And uh, it, they, are, they are working quite well with the, with the homemade bread. Yeah, f- freshly baked bread and and uh, homemade cheese. There's no substitute for those two tastes. <laughs> there isn't. If you pay one million dollar, you can't get it. <laughs> no, that's right. And you and you never will. All the homemade stuff's the the best, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Have you got anything um, else you want to share with the with the listeners around um, cheese making and uh, any words of encouragement for say new cheese makers? Um. New cheesemakers, um, before you start to a recipe, um, put down the recipe on a piece of paper and see how much time it's going to consume. Uh, when, I, when I've started making cheeses, uh, it's actually consuming you know, like a half a day or the whole entire day sometimes, although there are like spaces in between. And you add the starter culture, wait one hour. You add the rennet, wait another hour. You cut, wait 15, half an hour, and then you mix and, and stir whatnot. The, the thing is, if you're making uh, a long recipe like an Emmentaler or uh, Comte, just write down everything on it and see how, much, how long it's going to take and then arrange your day and your busy life around that. If you start like somewhere in the afternoon, you'll never be able to get into the press before you can go to bed. Like one day, one day an Emmentaler t- took me... 3 a.m. in the morning. I oh, was still goodness. enjoying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was still enjoying, but it is it was taking too much time. So, if you if you if you make your decision about what cheese and then put down the recipe, write it down and see what you need, how much time you require, and then you can plan your day uh, around that. Very very wise words indeed. Um, I wish I had learnt that when I made a Wensley Dale, which took <laughs> nine hours from milk to basket to the final press. Um, yeah. yeah, so I was up at uh, until 3 a.m. as well. It's, uh, I think it's something that every cheesemaker needs to learn. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> yeah. once you've learnt it, that's uh, uh, you certainly won't forget your experience, your 3 a.m. cheese making experiences. Yes, definitely. Also, taking notes when you're making the cheese uh, makes quite a bit of a difference. Um, when you do little changes on the cheese, when you wait 
for another 15 minutes or when you increase the temperature a couple of more, couple centigrade more degrees, it, it makes a difference at the end result. And uh, if, you, if you are not noting that and when your wife says, oh, this cheese is good, make it again, then you don't have anything to go back to. <laughs> you, have to you have to take notes. Yeah. So I do that with um, with blog posts. So uh, on my cheese blog, Little Green Cheese, that's where yeah. I that's where I take my notes. So if I've done, uh, you know, when I make that cheese, I write down how I made it particularly. Yeah. Then I can go back. It's exactly the same as to having a note or a notebook book. But yeah, highly yes. recommended. That's really really good advice. Any other tips, or is that that that, that, that you come up with? Um, well. Uh... My my other difficulty was uh, when when I was trying to go bigger on the, like you know, 40 liters from 20 liters milk from 8 liters milk to 20 liters and then 40 liters. Yeah. So like the baskets I have at home for cheese pressing and and draining it's like quite a bit. So I could have yeah. I could have bought some others and then and then leave some other space in my cupboards that would have been good. So m- making a decision about how much milk you're going to process in one go. Is, is another important factor. When you change the uh, the amount of milk, then you change the amount of rennet, the amount of starter cultures, amount of other stuff, and then and then recipe goes uh, the other way. Uh, if if you if you want to prevent that, you work always with the same amount of milk so that you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and if you're going to brine the cheese, you'll actually have to figure out how much longer. Uh, per weight to um, brine the cheese for as well. Yes, so, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So if you're only uh, pressing a one kilo cheese, you know you only need to uh, leave it in for say 12 hours. But if you're pressing a, um, what, what's the what's the end weight that you your 40 liter cheeses usually turn out at? That becomes like um, uh, three three kilos or so, three oh. maybe uh, three and a half. One of the hard cheeses. Some yeah. uh, hard cheeses like that, and and the soft cheeses are like maybe four liters. I'm I'm using quite a good cow milk, yeah, which I'm getting yes. from my friends. So yeah. it is it is quite high quality, all the fat and everything in it. Uh, there's nothing Still in it. In it. Yeah. Yes, it is a quite a good milk, and uh, it gives me like two, four liters usually uh, gives me four four and a half kg of uh, feta. Oh, fantastic! So you'd have to you'd have to brine that for quite a long time, though, wouldn't you? Yes, yes. I'm um, well. I pasteurize the milk anyway, and yes. then uh, the more brining increases the uh, the aroma and the intensity of the cheese. Yes. I'm in the beginning. I was using like uh, 12, 20 percent brine with the salt level. Yeah. Uh, but now, according to my wife, of course, uh, I, I I have decreased down to eight percent, and uh, it is sitting in there. Uh, the cheese is solid, not not uh, melting or anything. Yeah. And uh, it, it is quite an enjoyable thing. As soon as you take it out from the brine, you can eat it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I've got a for for, um, for hard cheeses like say Parmesan, Romano, and um, uh, Emmental. I use a fully saturated brine. So. Um, yeah. For those listeners that don't know what a fully saturated brine is, it's when when you keep at, you keep adding salt at room temperature until you start seeing salt at the bottom. It doesn't dissolve in the water anymore, and I think that's at about twenty percent salt to water. Is that right? Some yeah, twenty or twenty four, I think. Yeah, yeah roughly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So those those uh, really those hard high temperature made cheeses really need that amount of salt in them, whereas. Yes. Um, uh, Gukan, as you said, with the feta, you you don't need as much salt um, in the brine to make a, a good tasting feta. Yeah, 
Ah, fantastic. Well, it's been really good talking to you, Gukan. Thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. No problems at all. Thank you. Anytime. Anytime you um, you want to have a chat on the show, just drop me a line. Thank you very much, Kevin. Have a nice evening. Thank you very much. See you later. Bye. got a great story this week in the news. Uh, it's a classic. Uh, it's from the Sun newspaper in the United Kingdom. It's titled The Pong Arm of the Law. I'll just read a bit to you. It's quite funny. Uh, heavy-handed cops have banned an elderly grandmother from making a double, massive double Gloucester for a world-famous cheese rolling event. Farmer Diana Smart, 86, has been making special handmade cheese for the downhill run for 25 years, but health and safety obsessed police have warned her not to make the giant cheese for this year's downhill 200-yard Cooper's Hill near Brockworth, Gloucestershire. In an apparent bid to stifle a dangerous event, three visited the pensioner, telling her not to donate five eight-pound wheels. It is the first time in its 200-year history that police have banned a cheesemaker providing the cheese leaving organisers considering using something else instead. So the event kind of goes like this. The event sees runners reaching speeds of up to 70 miles per hour as they hurtle down the steep slope after the rolling cheese. Injuries suffered at the cheese rolling include broken arms, legs and even backs. Following health and safety fears, 2009 was the last official cheese rolling event, but unofficially the event is held every year without proper medical cover or insurance. The organisers of the annual spectacle said they will defy any bid to stop the race from happening. A spokesman said, It's outrageous, completely unbelievable. You cannot stop somebody selling cheese. If they try to stop us, we will use something else or get some cheese somewhere else. Matthew Sinclair, Chief Executive of Taxpayers Alliance, slammed the police for threatening Mrs Smart. He said taxpayers will be appalled that the valuable time of three police officers was wasted trying to scare an elderly lady from withdrawing her involvement in a centuries-old tradition. Well, there you have it. True yet scary. So as I mentioned before, the cheese of the month is Emmentaler or Emmental or a Swiss-style cheese, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's the uh, world-famous cheese made in the Alpine areas around Switzerland. Uh, as I said, it has, it has the addition of a propionic shimani. Uh, and I said, that's what creates the holes or the eyes in the cheese. So, like I mentioned, we, we are just looking after it, making sure there's no, no mould growing on it, turning it daily at this stage, and uh, it will sit outside. I think I'll take it out of the cheese fridge on Monday, so that should be very interesting, and watch it swell over the next uh, two to three weeks. It doesn't swell very much because it's only a one kilo wheel. The larger this cheese is, the larger the eyes are. So... We will be tasting that in about, let me just see here, I think it's about four months. Yeah, so, yeah, no, three months it ages is four uh, at uh, about, 
Well, it's seven degrees, but I can't get my cheese fridge down that far. So I will, um, because I can't keep the humidity high enough either, I'll probably end up waxing this cheese, uh, which is no big deal because once the holes or the eyes have formed, uh, the wax uh, doesn't have to expand or contract. So it's no big deal. So that should be good, uh, good fun. And you can keep it bare if you can keep the humidity up. Uh, the humidity for this cheese needs to be uh, 85 degrees. Um, so if you can keep it humid in your cheese fridge, and I can't, so uh, basically I wax most of the cheeses that are in mine. So that should be good fun. So we've got one or two listener questions this week. Well, the first question's from David Case, and he asks... Uh, I was wondering what you could tell was wrong with this cheese. It was very hard to get the curds to adhere on another. This is less smooth than our previous farmhouse cheddars. The one thing we did differently is that we held the target temperature for the duration. Well, what I think may have happened, and it looks like he sent me a photograph, so it's hard to describe a little bit on audio. So uh, the cheese hasn't held together during the pressing. So what I would recommend... Uh, and, and it's hard to fix now um, because uh, the, the cheese will fall apart. Just wax it the best you can, David, and and uh, and basically leave it for its maturation period. Uh, what you could have done, if you had seen that at the end of your uh, uh, last pressing, uh, I would put it back into cheesecloth again uh, and uh, press it for a little bit longer, probably flip it um, and press it at a little bit... Uh, uh, higher poundage uh, or kilograms, whatever system you use. And that way, probably leave it for another six hours and hopefully the curds will stick together. The reason they're not sticking together is uh, quite simply that there has been too much whey um, expelled from the curds. Uh, basically, what it could have been is um, the type of milk you used, there's many factors that this this can happen. It's happened to me once or twice, uh, and I've managed to get away with it at the end by uh, simply pressing it a bit harder. What it, what has happened is during the uh, stirring process, there's been too much whey ex- expelled. Uh, the temperature could have been a bit high. Uh, it, it's it's difficult to tell unless you're actually watching the person make the cheese. So, look, I haven't been much of a help for this one. Like I said, you could have saved it if you had pressed it a little bit harder again at the end. Um, however, the curds look like they're too dry. That's why they won't knit together. So the next, que- it's not really a question, it's a comment about the cheese blog. Uh, and this one's from France. Hi, Gavin. Jean-Michel from France, from Nice. I've seen your videos uh, on YouTube about making camemberts. It's <laughs> just great. So I just wanted to say thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to try to do this. I'll let you know, <clears throat> and I'm reading your uh, blog at the time, and I'll tell you more about, about that. Okay, bye, and thanks again. Well, thanks, Jean-Michel, uh, for your lovely comment. Jean-Michel actually left me a message or a comment on uh, YouTube on the Camembert uh, video, and it says, uh, Hi, superb. You can say you have learnt the Frenchman... I am how to make a camembert. Smiley face. Well, now I have to make a video on how to make pudding or chutney just to balance things. Thanks a lot. 
It was quite funny. I had a good laugh when I uh, read that comment uh, on YouTube. Thanks again, John Michelle. So that's all we got time for this episode. Uh, there are upcoming workshops which you can find on the Little Green Cheese blog. You can also find my cheese making ebook, Keep Calm and Make Cheese The Beginner's Guide to Cheese Making at Home. And it's available in all ebook formats, and you can purchase directly off the site as a PDF. You can also find my cheese making video tutorials within the ebook or on my YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, Curd Nerds, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Little Green Cheese Podcast. Also, I'd really appreciate it if you went over to iTunes and left a comment or a rating. That would certainly um, help promote the podcast to all budding cheesemakers. During this podcast, you heard royalties-free music by Kevin McLeod. I played Malt Shop Bop, News Theme, and Call to the Dairy Cows.